and welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Baffalucas, joined by my partner in crime, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, Lucas Rohde. Lucas, another awesome weekend of college football. Everyone kind of is always down on week two. We talk about we don't have as many top 25 matchups and not you don't quite have the uh, the aura of a week one. But a really fun week in college football. A lot to get into here as we uh, look a little behind to week two. We've got some coaching news, uh, a lot going on in the world of college football, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah, it was a week I wasn't expected. I honestly didn't think I was going to be glued to the television as much as I thought I was. But every window had good games going on or ended up having good games, even for you know, we'll get to them, but even some that I think we all expected to be blowouts. Um, no, it was really, really unexpected. And I think sent a lot of our uh, preseason predictions kind of in a tailspin. I was even looking at like our overreactions. I think I remember you mentioned on last week's pod, like, oh, we'll see what our, what kind of overreactions look like after week two. And it's like, oh, all right, maybe Anthony Richardson isn't going to be a Heisman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe LSU that won 65-17 over an FCS team. Maybe they will be okay. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So uh certainly it's it's a it's a week to week thing, man, with this sport. I mean, it, it's what's what I love about college football is you you don't know what team you're gonna get because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20, you know, 21 year olds. You you just don't know, right? You have teams lose to an FCS team, you have you know, Iowa still is trying to score, like they're still trying to score double digit points. Still can't do it. Iowa has more punts than uh, than points, points through two games, which is which is insane. So um, it's fun. It's fun. We're 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 two weeks down, and uh, about eleven more to go here. So quick run of show. Lucas and I will give out our weekly roses here first, celebrating the best of the best of the week in college football. We will then talk about our first coaching vacancy. Uh, it happened in week two last year with Clay Helton being fired from USC. And this year, Clay Helton is the one that kind of um, not does the firing, but uh, puts the final nail in the coffin. Scott Frost fired at Nebraska. Lucas and I will give our thoughts on that, as well as maybe some potential replacements for Scott Frost. Uh, Lucas and I are going to look back to week two. We will play a stock up, stock down game to uh, recap the week and then look ahead to week three and give our weekly picks. So Lucas, let's jump into it. I will let you go first to give your weekly rose of the week. Yeah, I'm going to give my weekly rose to one of the upsets that happened on Saturday, and that is to uh, the Marshall Thundering Herd. Um, arguably their biggest win, maybe in program history, since they joined uh, the FBS going on the road to South Bend beating, at the time, a top 10 ranked Notre Dame team. Um, really nice win for second-year head coach Charlie Huff. This was, without arguably their best player, um, I can't remember his name, a running back uh, that I was super high on. I actually took Marshall win total over 7.5. He got hurt um, just before the beginning of the year. But, you know, really went there and dominated, forced three turnovers, um, and was one of the big upsets that, Really was a good weekend for the Sun Belt Conference um, as we go through here. They were largely a lot of the culprits for a lot of the big upsets this week. Yeah, we'll get to them at least if I have a say in it in our stock up, stock down, because you're absolutely right. It was a banner week for the Sun Belt, which pulled off two top 10 upsets. Um, my weekly rose is going to go to Mike Elko and the Duke Blue Devils. 
the Duke Blue Devils are 2-0 and with two Power 5 wins. They beat Temple in a pretty impressive fashion in Week 1, 30-0. And then they go on the road to Evanston, Illinois. They beat Northwestern 31-28. to Duke is 2-0. and And this was a program that neither of us were really high on. Uh, we thought this was going to be kind of a basement dweller. In the ACC, the win total, I think, was like three and a half. And they already have two. And they play North Carolina A&T on Saturday. So a really good chance to be 3-0. and They play Kansas. Uh, I mean, Duke has a chance to, to put some wins together here. You look at the next four games for Duke. Again, they're already 2-0. and North Carolina A&T at Kansas, home Virginia at Georgia Tech. Um, there's a chance they could get to four or five wins this season, maybe – potentially go bowling, which would be a huge step for Mike Elko in year one. So um, impressive for Duke. Um, They're averaging over 30 points a game after losing their top receiver to UCLA after some uncertainty at quarterback. I've been impressed with them. So I'm going to give my weekly rose um, to the Duke Blue Devils. I almost gave my weekly rose to Kansas because Kansas is also 2-0. Our boy Lance Leipold. Um, we think we're very, very high on, and we think bigger programs should give him a chance, and maybe one will as his uh, as we segue into Nebraska. How's that for a segue, Lucas? There, that was great. I had a segue timed up too. Oh, okay, I was gonna wait, wait. but now I forgot it because that one was better. Um, all right, so the final nail in the coffin for Scott Frost uh, has been dealt by Clay Helton, Georgia Southern. Goes into Lincoln. They put up 45 points. It was Nebraska's first ever loss at home when they scored at least 35 points. They're like 214 and one now. Um, Georgia Southern 45, Nebraska 42. The rumblings on Saturday, you know, that I think effectively sealed Scott Frost's fate. But I think a lot of analysts and pundits were wondering is Nebraska going to pull the trigger right now? Um, for those that don't know, Scott Frost buyout drops in half on October 1st from $15 million to $7.5 million. So Nebraska essentially paid $7.5 million for Scott Frost to go away and go away immediately. And after the performance that they've had at the start of the season, I can't say I blame them. Lost to Northwestern in Dublin, a lackluster win over North Dakota, and a, uh, a loss to a G5 uh, Georgia Southern team. So, Lucas, um, you are our resident Big Ten expert. Um, you are a fan of a team that shares a division with Nebraska. So I will let you have the floor and, uh, give your thoughts on Scott Frost, what went wrong and where you think kind of the program is right now. I mean, I think it is pretty telling how I think bad, I think Nebraska, I guess, wanted this to happen after you already mentioned the buyout, but the fact that they were only three games in and they already figured that their season had way much more to lose. Um, by keeping him as head coach for a few more games than trying to save seven and a half million dollars. And, you know, if Scott Frost, if this wasn't Scott Frost at Nebraska, if this was any other coach at Nebraska, I don't even think Scott Frost, I don't even think they're back this year. They probably even got fired after 2020. I think Nebraska and Trev Alberts really, really wanted to make this work. He was a native son, beloved, won a national title there, and all the accolades that he had coming in. But like you mentioned, they were they've been terrible in one possession games in his tenure. I think they're five and twenty-two. You mentioned the first time ever in Lincoln where they scored thirty-five plus points and lost a game. They scored forty-two points and lost not just to any team; they lost to a team from the Sun Belt. 
that just joined FBS not even a decade ago, um, that they paid one and a half million dollars to come play them, basically to give them a gimme win on their schedule. It, it had to happen. Um, I was surprised it didn't happen after Northwestern. Um, and really reading too, I read some you know interesting articles on The Athletic, basically how um, you know, just kind of the inner workings of the program were kind of in shambles. It was very disorganized, apparently, among assistants, where they didn't feel like they were always on the same page. I mean, after week one, uh, Scott Frost is already saying he needs better communication with his offensive coordinator, who he already brought in to kind of run the show. So I think it was just, uh, it was, it's just sad because when he came to Nebraska, we thought this was going to be the person to save this program. And I don't think anybody envisioned it going as bad as it did. Um, you know, this is now they're, they're looking at now their, what, sixth straight year without going to a bowl game to a team that went, I think, one losing season in like 60 years before he got there. So it's shocking. It needed to happen. I think Nebraska is a really, really good job, um, despite maybe some of the recruiting um, uh, deficiencies you might have being in that part of the country. Um, but I think you have everything you else that you want in a big job. So I'm going to be very interested to see what type of, what type of camps they go after and also which type of coaches are going to be interested in that job. Yeah. The sentiment around Nebraska seems to be, well, times have changed since the nineties and the eighties, the advantages that Nebraska um, had in the nineties and the eighties with their, their you know walk-on program and and what made tom osborne and that program tick have gone away but i've always said there's no reason why nebraska cannot be a program on the level of iowa and wisconsin in that division there is absolutely no reason why you cannot mine the midwest for good football players develop them and win seven to nine games every year and then when the stars align every four or five years you win 10 or 11. There's absolutely no reason why that cannot be the standard at Nebraska. And truthfully, it was under Bo Pelini. And then Nebraska said that wasn't good enough. And since then, it's been a debacle. I do give Nebraska credit for holding on to Scott Frost for five years. You don't see that often, right? I mean, Willie Taggart gets fired midway through year two. Um, Brian Harson's probably going to get fired after, after year two or even in the middle of year two at Auburn. So they were patient with him. It was just a disaster. I mean, they were terrible in one-score games. They were they had so many mental errors. Uh, this was not a team that could close games, and that's on coaching. That's the little things, right? Those are the details that you talked about earlier. That just you don't. The good teams win. The bad teams lose, right? Good teams find a way to win. Bad teams don't. And Nebraska has not been anywhere near the top half of their own division, right? I mean, case in point: twenty twenty-one, week zero, you lose at Illinois with a first-year coach and Brett Bielema. That's unacceptable because you had terrible special teams and terrible turnovers. It's unacceptable, right? I mean, I, even when they beat North Dakota this year, that was a game that was not – it wasn't a blowout. It wasn't like Nebraska no. controlled that game. Nebraska's defense is awful, and that's not something that we have said recently. Like, if anything, it was the offense and with Adrian Martinez struggling to keep the ball. That defense is awful. I mean, you give up 45 points to Georgia Southern. At over six over six hundred and fifty yards. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and it, you know, oftentimes as we say, like once you're on the hot seat, it's really hard to get off of it. And once a program kind of has this 
stench about it. It's just hard for a current coach to rid that program of that stench. There's just something in Nebraska that's not working. And it's 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 maybe, you know, the similar situation in College Station, which I think we'll get to here soon. But, like, some programs, you just kind of develop that stench, and it's really hard to rub that off. So I think it's – you think you are going to start seeing this more and more of, of once schools know, they're just going to cut bait. Right. You're going to coaches will get fired earlier and earlier, especially after what USC was able to do and kind of lay the foundation to get Lincoln Riley immediately after Oklahoma season was over. Right. Mm -hmm. At this point, if you're a major school, it's really hard to wait until after Thanksgiving to fire your coach Mm -hmm. because you could have one in place. Like Nebraska is going to have the next eight weeks, essentially, or nine or 10 weeks to have a coach and a staff in place as soon as possible which I think gives them an advantage. And like you said, Lucas, it will be really interesting to see who they go after. Who are some names or some, like, what are some thoughts you have on the potential replacement for Scott Frost? Yeah. And I think uh, another point in there too, that I think that hurt him as well was the team that he lost to Northwestern in week zero this year. We're thinking, okay, maybe Northwestern's just better. Then they go and, as we talked earlier, lose to Duke at one point or down three scores. Uh, it's still a Duke team that probably is not, you know, go to a bowl game. Yeah, but like you mentioned, going to be really interesting to see who the type of candidates are. And I'm just interested to see what how candidates view Nebraska. Do, do you still have coaches that still view this as a top-tier job, as it was probably like two decades ago? Or do people think that it has gone down and that this is – like you mentioned, maybe kind of in the same. It's still a good job, maybe not a great job. Um, you're probably, uh, yes, you can maybe recruit a little bit there, but largely you're, you're going to have to develop most of your talent uh, that you get there. Um, so is this a step up for, you know, a Matt Campbell at Iowa State? Um, you know, I heard their, their dream list would be Urban Meyer, Luke Fickle, or Bob Stoops. Do any three of them <laughs> even give a sniff? to this job. Oh, maybe they did two decades ago. I, I don't think it's that type of job now, but I do think, uh, like we said, or like I said, besides recruiting, you're going to have probably an unlimited budget for assistance, whatever you want for a football program, you're going to be able to get, um, you know, most people think that they might have the best NIL run program in the conference, if not one of the best in the country, like you're going to have unlimited resources, um, to help buy players. So with all that at your disposal, I think if you put the good, a good coach in there, um, you can make this like a pretty good job and make it a top tier job in the big 10 again. And you mentioned like, yeah, there's no reason why they can't be competing eight to 10 wins every year. Like people in their vision, like Iowa and Wisconsin. I mean, shoot, Wisconsin's whole template was modeled after Nebraska. Barry Alvarez is a Nebraska alum. And he basically took what he learned there from their, their walk-on program to just how they built their program, their weight program, everything like that, and basically implemented it at Wisconsin. And we're using that model to today, which now seems a little stocked down after what happened this weekend. I'm sure we'll get to that <laughs> later. But there's no reason that they can't emulate at least that success. Um, again, I mean, shoot, they should be at least going to bowl games every year. I mean, we've lowered yeah, our expectations a lot on uh, Nebraska, but – for God's sakes, they should be at worst going to a bowl game every year. So this is my thought. I the Matt Campbell, there was a report from Lars Anderson from the New York Times that, you know, said Matt Campbell is almost 
you know, done at this point, which I thought was egregious for him, for that person to write. Um, I don't think this is a job of the caliber that draws a Matt Campbell or a Luke Fickle or, you know, whatever hot shot coach is available. I think it's a tier below that, right? So I'm looking at the athletic. Here's the list that Bruce Feldman uh, put together. Lance Leipold from Kansas, Chris Kleiman from Kansas State, Matt Campbell, Iowa State, Jake Dickert, who uh, Lucas is very familiar with now, head coach of Washington State, who I guess has some uh, Midwest ties, Jimmy Chadwell from Coastal Carolina, Mickey Joseph, who's the interim coach at Nebraska, Bronco Mendenhall, former Virginia head coach who retired, or I guess stepped, stepped away after last year, Matt Rule from the Carolina Panthers, Gary Patterson, who's at Texas as a special assistant, and Jim Leonard, uh, Wisconsin defensive coordinator. I think of those names on the list, I think Jamie Chadwell, I think Lance Leipold, and Matt Rule, I think make the most sense to me. I have I texted you this. I think Matt Rule will be the head coach of Nebraska. Uh, I, I think Carolina, I think the Panthers situation will go south. They had a game that they probably shouldn't have won on Sunday, and Matt Rule kind of bungled late game management and allowed Cleveland to kick a field goal to to lose. And I think if you're Matt Rule, the Nebraska job is a really nice kind of parachute out of a really toxic situation in the NFL. But if it's not going to be Matt Rule, I mean, Lance Leipold is interesting. He's only in year two at Kansas, but they're 2-0. and um, They just beat West Virginia on the road. They are scoring, I think, the most points per game of any team in the country through two weeks. And the dude wins everywhere he goes. He's got deep ties in the Midwest. I think Chris Kleiman is is interesting, but I, I don't think that's quite realistic. I think he's really happy at Kansas State and is in a pretty good situation. Um, I don't think Jim Leonard is, is going to leave Wisconsin for Nebraska. Um, Mickey Joseph, I, I listen, I think if Mickey Joseph kind of gets this thing turned around and maybe they compete for eligibility, that's a name I would keep my eye on as well. He's the first black head coach of any sport at Nebraska ever, that's which insane. is just an insane <laughs> stat in the year 2022. Uh, but real quick here before we move on, any names kind of catch your eye uh, with this job? No, I was going to say that. Uh, yeah, Mickey Joseph, you know, I believe he played at Nebraska too. So has deep ties there as well. Um, what name was I going to say? Because um, I, I agree with you. I don't know if they're going to pop. I know Mark Stoops was another name that people were talking about. Dave Aranda, too. Dave Aranda. I, I just don't see it. One, Mark Stoops might have the best situation of any head coach in college football. And to me, where he has Kentucky at right now is probably like an ideal scenario for Nebraska. So why would you leave that when you already have it? to go somewhere unless it's maybe money. Like I said, they could probably, it's not going to surprise me if they throw the boat like Michigan state did when they got Mel Tucker, where they're probably going to go to a lower tiered power five uh, pro or power five conference and maybe just say, Hey, we're just going to outspend and double your salary. Um, But no, I I agree with a lot of the names uh, that you mentioned. Um, I think Matt rule would be fantastic. I think that's ideal. My only thing is, is, he would have to, in my opinion, the only way that's feasible is if he gets fired probably around Thanksgiving where it's, you know, maybe Carolina starts off poorly, like they're one in five or two and six. Um, and they fire him because if he doesn't get fired towards the end of the year, there's no way you can make that hire, you know, late, late January, unless you have assurances from like his agent, like, Hey, if we get fired, which we're probably might happen, we're going to take this job. But, 
And Bronco Mendenhall is another one. Um, I don't think that's a sexy hire, but that dude, kind of like Lance Leipold, has won literally everywhere he's gone, uh, whether that be BYU or, or Virginia. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested. I'm sure we're going to hear names probably pop up here towards the end of the month. I am interested, though, to see how Nebraska responds to this this week because they have already their biggest game of the year uh, coming up against Oklahoma. Yeah, we'll get to – I'll expand more on this point when we talk about Notre Dame, but I'm, I'm tired of schools hiring coaches for the sole purpose of, like, winning the press conference or, like, having a cool, like, video of the team, like, celebrating and stuff. Like, hire the coach that you think has – the attributes and the characteristics to get your program where you want it to go. And if that means that short term, you're going to take a hit because guys transfer or you don't hire the popular choice, then so be it. But I, uh, guys like Chris Kleiman, Lance Leipold, guys that aren't Bronco, like Bronco Mendenhall guys that aren't necessarily going to be sexy hires that are going to, the fan base is going to love, but are just good football coaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now we said this at Auburn too, with Brian Harson, we both like that hire because he's a good football coach and that, you know, hasn't worked out a ton. So we'll see. All right. Uh, we're going to take a look back to week two. Again, this is running for the roses. I'm Ryan Baff Lucas. Uh, I'm joined by Lucas Rody. Please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, and uh, everywhere else, basically. Uh, so Lucas week two, uh, we did overreactions after week one. And this week I suggested doing stock up, stock down. So we're going to go back and forth and you can either do stock up or stock down, whichever kind of topic you want to, you want to go into. Um, and it could be a coach. It could be a player. It could be a school. It could be a conference. It could be whatever. So I will uh, let you go first and, and you can take, take us wherever you want to go here, oh, stock up or stock down. So I'm going to do stock down. I think this is one that we're probably both going to agree on. Um, Cause we both, I think kind of jumped the gun a little bit week one on this particular player, but stock down on, on Anthony Richardson. Yep. Um, for as good as his debut or as his debut as the starter was against Utah, where he just created all types of issues, he was awful uh, against Kentucky. Now, give a lot of credit. I thought Kentucky's defensive game plan was great going in. They made this game kind of ugly, which I think is what they wanted to. They had, you know, they're arguably their best player, Chris Rodriguez, out on suspension. But man, talk about a complete nosedive. You know, fourteen to thirty-five. Less than 50% completion percentage for, I think, 143 yards. I think the biggest thing, too, he did nothing with his legs. Uh, Only carried the ball six times for four yards. Really uh, kind of a a letdown. And I think kind of expected. I mean, we got kind of high on Florida after that huge win in week one. Um, I think this kind of brought them a little bit down to earth. Remember, this is still a a team with a first-year head coach and a whole new coaching staff, and Anthony Richardson, this was only really his second career college start. So I'm not lowering the book on him, but I think if, if there is any Heisman hype for him after week one, I think that uh, has gone after week two. Yeah, I, I think for a guy like Anthony Richardson, um, you have to learn to adapt to what happens when schools have film on you, right? I think he was kind of new in – Utah didn't know really what to expect a ton. And he just made a lot of huge plays. I mean, he made a lot of huge plays in week one with his legs. And, and, you know, like you said, that wasn't the case. I thought uh, Kentucky did a great job, especially in the second half of containing him on his feet, uh, making him be a thrower. And he wasn't able to do that. And, and listen, Kentucky, like 
you know, we had talked, I talked about last week. I said, I don't know why Florida's ranked 12th. I mean, I just don't, that's a huge jump considering they beat a team by three points that we may not, who knows what Utah's going to be. And there's Kentucky, just good old Kentucky, stable, secure, eight win Mark Stoops. They, they're, they're ranked 20th. Um, and they go in there and they have a, a really good second half and they, they outlast Florida in a tough environment. So good for Kentucky. Uh, and yeah, the Anthony Richardson hype train slowed uh, a little bit. So we'll see if it speeds back up again. Um, all right, my I'll, I'll, I will go stock up. My first stock up is the Sun Belt Conference, baby. The Fun Belt. Uh, Appalachian State beats Texas A&M on the road. Marshall goes to Notre Dame, beats the Fighting Irish. That's two top 10 wins for the Sunbelt Conference. That's probably more than like eight conferences already. <laughs> uh, Old Dominion already has a win over Virginia Tech. Georgia Southern, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, beats Nebraska in Lincoln and seals Scott Frost fate. Georgia State hung with North Carolina at home. They lost by seven points. Um, really fun league. I mean, it's it, it, I know the American is, is there as well, but the Sunbelt, one of the best Jeep, uh, you know, group of five leagues uh, in, in the country, I mean, app state, they're hosting game day, uh, this week, they'll host Troy, um, Georgia state looks very competitive. They've played two power five teams and have, have looked decent in both games. Even Southern miss was hanging with Miami the whole first yeah. half Miami. I think Southern miss was up seven, nothing. Miami ended up scoring the next 30, but that game was close as well. I had to get some eyes on it towards the end of the first half. Um, really good day for the Sun Belt. Uh, Charles Huff, like you said, coach at Miami, Sean Clark coach at, Appalachian State really kind of um, putting their names firmly in the mix of, of any decent job to come up, especially, you know, Charles Huff, former Alabama assistant, has mm-hmm. the same in ties. That's a guy that I could see getting some looks at some SEC schools here down the road. Yeah, uh, I was almost going to joke and send uh, send you a, a, a text saying, I guess it's no longer SEC speed. It's You can't deal with SBCC speed. If that makes sense anymore, it just, it just means a little more. It that just means be, a little more. In the that should be their saying. And, and you mentioned, like, yeah, like typically when we look at the group of five, the American is usually the one that sticks out um, as the best G five. I still think it is the best G five conference, but after next year, when you know Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF move to the Big Twelve, I think you can make a worthy argument that the Sun Belt might establish itself as the best group of five conference, which is, is nuts. I, 10 years ago, I would have been surprised the Sun Belt was still around. It was kind of the, the dregs of college football was not a, it was even below the Mac. Um, but they were smart with the, the teams that they've added over the last few years. And um, it's starting to show and you have app state who gets maybe their, it's not bigger than the Michigan upset, but I think it was pretty damn near close. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see some of these teams, especially when they start to play each other, like App State, um, you know, taking on Marshall. They, all four of the teams that you mentioned, Georgia Southern, App State, uh, Georgia State, and Marshall, they all play in the same division. So they're all going to play each other. The Sun Belt East is going to be a lot of fun. Love um, that. Yeah. All right, next up for you. So I did stock down. I'll do stock up, and I'm actually going to go with uh, Quinn Ewers. Uh, not that he needed any more hype or anything like that, but and the fact that he only played really one half of a football game, 
but it was a pretty damn good first half. Um, just was chucking the ball all over the place. You saw why he was at the time the most hyped quarterback recruit in the country. And I'm, I, I think it's probably going to tear Texas fans, but if he doesn't get hurt halfway through that game, what does that game look like? Um, not that Hudson card played bad. I thought Hudson card was, was fine. Um, he was even a little bit dinged up too. Um, so it's hard to, to place any blame on him. He was kind of playing with a, with a botched ankle uh, later in that game, but yeah, I'm going to stock up. I'm excited for him when he comes back um, because that game did turn a little bit. Uh, Texas didn't really push the ball downfield as much, weren't as aggressive offensively um, in a game that, you know, we saw they still barely lost by one point. So, um, but sucks that he's going to be out for four to six weeks, but uh, can't wait for when he does return. Uh, yeah, this was actually one of mine as well. I, uh, I, I had this on my list. Yours, 9 of 12, 134 yards. He's injured essentially at the end of the first quarter. Um, I have heard about Quinn Ewers for the better part of the last three years. Um, he got a perfect grade from 24-7, the number one player in the country, and I felt like he was just not on the same hype level as guys like Trevor Lawrence or what Arch Manning will be, right? But he... I mean, I think he showed you everything as to why he was that player. The physical tools, his ability to throw in tight spaces, his ability to to kind of control the pocket, throw off balance. I mean, it was all there. I thought he looked really good. And I, I do think if he doesn't get hurt, I think Texas wins that game. Alabama just was so sloppy. They couldn't move the ball. They had one huge explosive, I think, 80-yard run, 75-yard run in the first half. Um, by their backup running back. But that was really it. I mean, listen, Bryce Young did enough to get the win. He had a great final drive, including like a 17-yard scramble to set up the field goal. Like, Which should have been sacked. Should have like been sacked. Right. Escapes yeah. the pressure. I mean, we like we saw this against we saw this against Auburn last year. Like LSU last year, they didn't blow out. Um, just to touch on that game a little bit more, like I'm a little concerned about Alabama. Like they don't. I don't know if they have the guys on the outside. I mean, that this Texas defense, like, it's not great. And no. they struggled to hit the deep play. They struggled to, like, be explosive. Um, and I know it's only one game, but, like, I think that could be an issue for Alabama here moving forward. I did not – I mean, I laid the points with Alabama. I took Alabama minus 20, and, <laughs> and they only scored 20 points. I mean, yeah. they, they really struggled. And I know it was, a, it was a really good atmosphere. It was a really good environment there, but um, – I'm not ready to quite to like downgrade Alabama out of the Georgia tier, but not a great first test for Nick Saban's team this year. No. And, and as good as Jameer Gibbs is as a running back, I don't think you want to make it uh, a habit that he's your leading receiver every, every week. Yeah. um, Coming out of the backfield. No, you mentioned it. And we said that could be an issue. We thought they brought in some pretty good transfers to fill those holes. Um, it looks like, yeah, still a lot of work to do, but you even, uh, you even brought it up on Saturday, just, you know, really their last, how many true road games that they've had when you go back to last year, you know, they barely survived against Auburn. They needed a last minute, what, 98, 99 yard drive. Yeah. So real quick, four, yeah. four true road games last year, they beat Florida on the road by two, Florida finished six and seven. They lost at A&M. They blew out Mississippi state and they beat Auburn in like three overtimes. Yeah. So it, it makes a, it makes me hopeful because their next true road 
uh, non-conference game is at Wisconsin in two years. So there we go. I'm excited about it. That's that's a positive thing. There um, we go. <laughs> all right. Who did you have next up? For, uh, All right, so my stock down. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of continue with the Alabama theme. My stock down is the SEC conference in general. Rough week for the Southeastern Conference um, as a whole. Right, Alabama goes on the road, looks I think less than uh, ideal against Texas. They escape Austin with a one point win. Kentucky brings the Florida hype train to a a, a screeching halt. Tennessee beats Pittsburgh in overtime. Pittsburgh lost their starting quarterback halfway through that game. Wake Forest blows out Vanderbilt on the road. Missouri just gets boat raced by Kansas State, 40-12. to Auburn beats San Jose by eight. San Jose State, like, I'm watching these games. I mean, and obviously A&M losing to Appalachian State. And I'm sorry, I'm not impressed at this point this year with the SEC. Aside from Georgia and maybe Alabama, um, I mean, A&M just looks stuck in the mud. I mean, they cannot generate explosive plays. They had, I think, 38 total plays against Appalachian State, held the ball for fewer than 20 minutes. Um, Missouri in year three under Eli Drinkowitz just looks terrible. I mean, Kansas, I mean you lose on the road by 28 points to a, a, a middle-tier Big 12 team. And maybe, listen, maybe Kansas State is that going to make a, a run, win 10 games, but, like, that's – still Adrian Martinez, right? Um, so, you know, we're going to struggle with this question of who are the third and fourth best teams in the SEC. It's probably Arkansas at this point. Mm-hmm. I actually have them as one of my stock ups, which you can kind of get to later. But Arkansas beats South Carolina. Tennessee, I think, has looked pretty good. Um, but that's a game they easily could have lost at Pittsburgh with Pittsburgh starting quarterback out. So, you know, listen, we've talked about the Pac-12 being down and, and parts of the Big Ten, but the SEC, like, we've they've kind of not shown up well to these big non-conference games. LSU loses to Florida State. Um, you you had uh, Alabama looking okay against Texas. I mean, A&M has to play Miami this weekend. Um, we'll see. So I, I think I, I had stock down kind of. It, it was not a great weekend for the SEC as a whole. Yeah, and – kind of sticking on on that trend because I agree I think you look at it um, especially with AM we we had said if AM is not the second best team in the SEC West this year there's an issue <laughs> I don't even know you there's an play. issue there's an issue uh, you're probably easily putting Arkansas maybe you're putting Mississippi State who I thought had a, a decent win on the road uh, way out west against Arizona but no I agree um, it really hasn't really shown up. Um, and like, I think it's just going to go into the, uh, go into the uh, narrative we already had that it's pretty much Alabama and Georgia, and then really kind of a crap shoot after that, um, in that conference, um, sticking with another major conference on my stock down, uh, it's not the whole, the whole conference as a whole, but uh, I'm going with the big 10 West. I had that too. Uh, <laughs> I knew right where you were going with that. It was, uh, it was not a, not a banner week. For the uh, Big Ten West, we already we already touched on Nebraska, we touched on Northwestern a little bit. Um, well, at one point, I uh, was down twenty-one to nothing to Duke, who neither of us were high on. They end up losing that game. Iowa can't score a damn point. Their only way they like scored, I saw their scoring drive. They only had one play on that entire scoring drive. I think they had it was either 
good kick return or a, a turnover. They had only about 150 yards of total offense. It might be the most. I've seen bad offenses before. They <laughs> might have the most inept offense I've ever seen, ever, at like any level of football. You had, an over, you had an overreaction last week that they would be the worst FBS offense, and I was like, no way, Lucas, that's crazy. And I feel like I overreacted to your over, – I underreacted to your overreaction. It, it's bad. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to win games in the Big Ten playing that way. But um, that could also be an overreaction that we see here. But them losing to Iowa State, um, you know, Indiana – I guess Indiana's not the Big Ten East, but they kind of struggled with Idaho, but – Everybody in the – and then obviously the one that hurts my heart the most, Wisconsin, losing as a 17-and-a-half-point favorite to Washington State. You know, Washington State, me and you were both somewhat higher on them than a lot of people did. But this was a game Wisconsin should have won. Uh, just awful, awful mistakes, 11-plus penalties, a couple bad turnovers, kind of a theme that they've had for the last few years. But – yeah, it just doesn't look great. I mean, you could the only there's only one team right now in that division that doesn't have a loss, and that's Minnesota because they've you know beat the powerhouses of New Mexico State and Western Illinois on their schedule, and have Colorado this week. Um, so it's not good. This could be a this could potentially be a year where we have a team from the Big Ten West making it out, and they're you know they're eight and four. They have two three losses in conference. Uh, playing, you know, an undefeated Ohio State or a Michigan or something like that in the Big Ten East. It was, it was not a banner day. These teams might get better, but uh, that was the only consolation I had after the loss against Washington State. Was like, well, you know, bad. I can't rule them out of winning the Big Ten West because I don't think anyone else is particularly that. Oh, absolutely in not. The division. <laughs> absolutely not. Minnesota, I think, is the only team that's looked decent. And you're right; they've played New Mexico State. And they have played Western Illinois. They have outscored those two teams a hundred to ten. Yeah. I saw a stat that like Minnesota's like number one in the country in offense and 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 defense. Uh somehow in Tanner Morgan's eighth season there. Um <laughs> no, it's it's gonna be a crapshoot. I mean, I just I don't know how Iowa fixes this, right? We have seen two games, we've seen eight quarters against an FCS team and an Iowa State team that lost a ton from a uh, a pretty good run in that program under Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell's first win in the Cyhawk mm-hmm. in like six years, 10-7. Um, you had the under in that game, so shout out to you, like never a doubt. I had Iowa State, which I didn't feel great about, but Iowa State had like a, what, a 21-play, 99-yard drive? Right, yes. <laughs> like to uh, to take the lead there. It's a, it's a crapshoot. I mean, I still think it will be either at this point um, – Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Iowa. I mean, Purdue is a little intriguing. They looked okay against Penn State. Um, I don't. I mean, Illinois lost at at Indiana. Northwestern lost to Duke. Like, I don't think those teams are are really competitive now. But you're right. I mean, this could be a seven and five, eight and four Big Ten West champion where they kind of all beat up on each other. Because I don't know at this point, all the teams that have had the issues we talked about in the preseason, like they don't look resolved. Really, any yeah. of them, right? So. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if there's a surprise team. Maybe it's Purdue with Aiden O'Connell. They seem like they can at least score. Um, we'll see. <laughs> at least that's the requirement now in the West is like, well, if you can score, you can score. Uh, Purdue, uh, Purdue beat Indiana State I, fifty-six to zero. So I mean, as crazy as it is, if Illinois doesn't blow that game against Indiana last week, we might be saying they might. Hey, it's Illinois, maybe the dark horse because they looked. Somewhat impressive against 
Uh, Illinois, they, yeah. I mean, the Illinois play two power, power five teams. They've kind of dominated both of them. Uh, Virginia, I don't think is going to be very good. They should have beaten Indiana. They just yeah. they turned the ball over like four times in Indiana territory and just couldn't close that game. But um, you're absolutely right. And who knows? Maybe this will be Northwestern. Like, you know, Northwestern still number one right now in the conference. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, the Big Ten West was one of my stock downs as well. You've, you've got a couple of mine have been snatched. I'll go one more big, I'll go uh stock down. Um, I'm going to go Marcus Freeman um, and uh, Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman's the first Irish coach to start his career. zero and three lost in the Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma state, a game in which they led, I think 28 to seven looked very good competitive against Ohio state, especially on defense. And then you lose to Marshall 26, 21. Um, listen, Marcus Freeman might be a really good hire. He could work out. Who knows? But this is, I think, another example of a school that does not go through the proper protocol when it has an opening for a head coach. And, you know, listen, head football coach is one of the most important jobs at a major university in terms of revenue. I mean, it is it is proven that, like, your football team's success has positive ties mm-hmm. to enrollment and, like, student body activity, like, stuff like that. And it amazes me that these schools hone in on one guy and they focus all their attention on that guy, or they make an impromptu rushed decision because the team wants the coordinator promoted because they know that that person, right? Whether it's like Texas zoning in on Tom Herman and Steve Sarkeesian, whether it's Nebraska and Scott Frost. Listen, I thought Scott Frost was a fine hire. Scott Frost still only had two years of being a head football coach. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that was it. Right. You're, you're Notre Dame. You could have you could have gone after the Matt Campbells or, or the Luke Fickles. You you know, you, you could have gone after you could have had a call to Kyle Whittingham or Mike Gundy or you know Dave Clawson or whatever, right? Pat Fitzgerald. Like there were dozens of candidates you could have seriously looked at and instead you kind of chose the easy route. You promoted the hotshot assistant who was a, a, a G five assistant just one year ago. And I'm not trying to say Marcus Freeman's not going to work out. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying so many of these schools have flawed processes when they hire head coaches. Hey, let's focus on this guy. He's an alum. He's a Michigan man. He's a, he's a, you know, he was great for us in the, in the nineties instead of actually, I mean, I amazed me that athletic directors have to hire search firms. That's your, you are the search firm. Search firm yeah. What are you doing? Anyway, that was a little bit of a rant, but again, no. not saying Marcus Freeman is going to be a failure. But through three weeks, the results have not been ideal. And the schedule's not easy. Like, after Cal this week, they got to play North Carolina. They got to play Clemson. Got to play USC. Like, the schedule's not easy for, for Marcus Freeman. This could be like a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five Notre Dame team. Yeah, uh, I agree. And kind of go on your point where they kind of jumped again. Like, you're not like – you're not Washington State that probably taking the interim was probably the best thing. You're freaking Notre Dame. Like, you don't need to look for people. People try to look for you. Um, and they could have had probably their pick of the litter for good candidates. Look, and, and look, Marcus Freeman could turn this all around. They could end up having a decent year. This could just be a blip. Um, you know, but I think it was, I think a lot of it also has to do with the way recruiting works now. You know, he was, he's arguably one of the best recruiters in college football. They were putting together another top 10 recruiting class. And I don't think they wanted to lose that. But you're also getting a guy who was just a defensive, just started becoming a defensive quarter, what, like three seasons ago? 
Uh, yeah. And has not been a coach for that long. Was only with you for one year. Wasn't like he was under, you know, uh, uh, Brian Kelly for, you know, five, six years, knew how to run that program in and out. So it was a risky hire. Um, but yeah, it, it stocks really down. You just, you can't lose to Marshall if you're Notre Dame. Like nope. this is going back to when like Charlie Weiss was losing to like Navy and a bunch of other schools. You just, it just cannot, cannot happen. Um, so I'm just going to do one more. I'm going to do stock up. Um, and I'm going to go out West and I'm actually going to talk about the Oregon state Beavers. Um, I don't think we're getting a ton of attention, but two really, really impressive wins start the year. Uh, they absolutely kicked the crap out of Boise state in week one. The score was not even indicative of how, uh, uh, big of a, a lopsided game that was 34 to 17. And then they go on the road to a team that was favored to potentially win the Mountain West this year. They go on the road and win a close game against Fresno State. And I just think, you know, in the Pac-12 North, I know we're not doing divisions anymore really out there when it comes to qualifying for the the Pac-12 title game. But you could make an argument that Oregon State might be the most impressive team right now in that, in that, on that side of the conference. And, um, you know, Jonathan Smith, I think, has done a terrific job rebuilding that program. Uh, they're fun to watch. They have a tremendously fun offense. Um, and really now they've – this was the part we talked about it during our preview. Like, can they get past – can they go maybe one and one in those two games? I didn't really think they would win both. They did. They have Montana State this week. Uh, and then we get to really see what they're made of. And they got USC and Utah on their schedule. And they get USC up in Corvallis. Uh, where no one will watch because it'll be on the Pac-12 network, as was announced this past week. But, uh, um, yeah, I think the stock up on Oregon State, and I think they could be a potentially – them and Washington State both, I think are, um, can surprise a lot of people here the remainder of the year. Yeah, I love what Jonathan Smith is doing there. I mean, that's a guy that is continuously um, – every year that team gets better. They're they're well coached. They're fundamentally sound. Um and yeah, three and zero most likely heading into a big matchup against USC. Is Oregon State ranked? Do you know? I, I don't believe I they don't are. I don't believe they are. No. It's crazy to me that A and M is twenty four and Oregon State's not ranked. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's not crazy, but I understand. They, they probably would be if they didn't play in the Pacific Time Zone. But that's uh, the thing. And and you know, honestly, for me, so the first game was like a seven thirty, you know, ten thirty p.m. Eastern game on ESPN against Boise. And then the last, and then it was also like a seven thirty kick Pacific time, ten thirty Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Sports yeah, it's hard to get eyes, man. And <laughs> the Pac twelve thing. Look, I get it. Like you can't have every game on Fox or ESPN, and Pac twelve Network does want some big games, but that's one of your bigger games already. I mean, that's USC, your biggest brand, who looks excellent already, and Oregon State, who who has you know one of the better chances to beat them uh, in the conference. So that's kind of a miss. Um, all right. The other, the other one I had real quick was just, was just Jimbo Fisher. Um, Texas A&M at this point is kind of the, the meme of college football. He's a stock down. Something's got to change there. He either has to give up play calling. He has to hire an OC. Um, they need to change a quarterback. Like something has to change. They have Miami this week. Then they have Arkansas in Arlington next week. They also have to play Mississippi state. They have to go to Alabama. It is not going to be a, easy road for AM to even get to eight wins and judging by the two games i've seen like they 
don't look well coached. They struggle to be physical. They struggle to get the ball in their playmakers' hands. Haynes King just like throws it up for grabs half the time. It's it's just not good in College Station. So I wanted to quickly touch on Jimbo Fisher stock down. And again, he has a ten year contract. He ain't getting fired. I mean, I don't even think A and M would 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 do that. But um, they have some issues there. Yeah. Especially with, uh, like I said, I think there's added pressure on AM now that Texas is coming to the conference in like two or three years for them to have, you know, be in the national or conversation for a, for a championship. Like you said, they averaged, they were a top five SEC program that just brought in the number one recruiting class in the country. And they had a whopping 186 total yards on offense against Appalachian State. It's just, it just has to be better. You can't be putting up numbers like Iowa is right now when you have the talent that, that they have. Um, so completely agree with you. All right, let's move on to uh, week three. Um, as is customary, I'll give a little rundown of the day, and then we'll uh, touch on some of the key matchups here. Starting on Friday, Florida State at Louisville. Interesting game there. Louisville bounced back and got a win over UCF last Friday. Florida State was off. Uh, that game in Cardinal Stadium in Louisville, 4.30 Pacific time on ESPN. Going on to Saturday, Michigan hosts UConn. This is the noon slate. Georgia goes at South Carolina on ESPN. Uh, Michigan hosts UConn. Oklahoma goes at Nebraska. Uh, Purdue visits Syracuse at noon on ESPN2. Going to the 3.30 window, BYU goes to Oregon. Ole Miss will go to Georgia Tech. Penn State visits the Plains. They'll go to Jordan-Hare, take on Auburn, Colorado at Minnesota. Uh, Again, that is your 3.30 Eastern slate. Moving on to the evening slate, Mississippi State visits LSU, 6 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Texas Tech goes at NC State, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN2. Michigan State at Washington is your ABC game, 7.30 Eastern. Um Moving on to the night slate, uh, San Diego State will go at Utah, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Fresno State visits USC, 10.30 Eastern on Fox. North Dakota State visits Arizona, 11 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Uh, Lucas, I will let you kind of take us where you want to go. What are uh, some games or or some storylines here catching your eye in week three? Yeah, I think uh, just kind of looking at the early slate, I think – Maybe not on a bunch of people's high radar, but in the early slate, I think Purdue at Syracuse is an interesting game. I don't think we know a ton about these two teams. They're both intriguing because I think they're both a little bit better than what we had expected. Um, Purdue played Indiana State last week, blew them out, but probably should have beaten Penn State in their opener. And we mentioned just how down the Big Ten West is this year. You know, Could they be someone who comes to the forefront? And then Syracuse had maybe one of the more shocking uh, upsets in week one when they just dominated Louisville uh, 31 to 17. You know, are they kind of legit as in, are they a legitimate maybe bowl team uh, and someone who, and just a team that could be a nuisance to the other teams in the, in the ACC Atlantic. Um, then kind of just uh, looking, I think further down Penn state at Auburn, uh, Obviously, I think a lot of people have this game circled. One, it's a huge game for Penn State. This is a game that they should win if you know their expectations are to have the type of year that they want, which is to compete for a Big Ten title and be the national title uh, contention. And for Auburn, I mean, this is huge for Brian Harson. If 
we already think he's on the outside looking in and keeping his job. But if you're able to eat a, a beat a premier Big Ten opponent at home and start the year three and zero, I think it can change a lot of expectation and maybe take a little bit of pressure um, off of him uh, as well. Um, and I think another one too is at two thirty is uh, BYU at Oregon. BYU had a huge win this past week in overtime against Baylor. Was a top ten team. Um, BYU looks like to be pretty damn good. They were without their top two wide receivers and were still able to get it done. Um, you know, Jaron Hall looks like to be one of the more underappreciated quarterbacks in college football. And this is really the first test that Oregon has had since their butt kicking against Georgia. Can they respond again against a very high quality opponent um, and get this game at home to maybe get some more momentum before they start Pac-12 play? So those are kind of in the early site, those games I'm looking at. Yeah, and one other game also I forgot to mention. Uh, one of the biggest games of the day, Miami at A&M. That is a 9 o'clock Eastern uh, on ESPN. Wanted to make sure I, I also hit that. Um, I'll touch on that game, and then I'm I'm also kind of intrigued by Michigan State and Washington. Yeah. Uh, these are two teams that really haven't played uh, any stiff competition. Michigan State has a win over Western Michigan and Akron. Washington has a win over Kent State and Portland State. Michael Penix plays Michigan State. That's he's pretty familiar with that program being at Indiana. Kalen DeBoer is doing a nice job so far. I mean, the offense um, looks pretty good. They're averaging about like forty-eight points a game. Um, Washington's actually favored by three and a half, which I thought was a little interesting. Um, I'm interested to see again first test for both kind of um, middle-tier uh, teams in a non you know non-SEC league. Right. So it, it will be interesting to see Michigan State. Are they in that Michigan, Ohio State tier or close to it? Or are they closer to a, uh, a Maryland and Indiana tier? A&M and Miami is interesting. Both were very sluggish uh, mm-hmm. last week. Miami ended up beating Southern Miss 30 to 7. But that game was probably closer than the score um, represented. And how does A&M bounce back? I mean, if you're A&M and this falls off the rails, like it could get ugly. I mean, recruits, jumping ship, transfer portal, decommitments and, and, and all that. And do they make a quarterback change? Do we see Max Johnson either start the game? Do we see Max Johnson come in at some point, maybe after the half? What is it, right? It feels like something has to happen at A&M. That offense is stuck in the mud. Um, Miami is 13th in the country. A lot of transfers there as well. Tyler Van Dyke can sling it. So a and is going to have to score. Like a and is going to have to get in, in the 20s uh, to win that game. And then USC and Fresno State, I think, is also interesting. Fresno State uh, played Oregon State really competitive, like you said, one of the preseason favorites of the Mountain West. And USC, the 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 hype train isn't full speed ahead, but it's starting to pick up speed. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were up at one point, I think, 41-14 over Stanford. Stanford came back late to kind of put a scare – not really into USC, but a, a scare to some of us that may have had USC minus nine. <laughs> um, so, but USC ends up covering. I thought USC looks USC looks really good. I mean, yeah, Caleb Williams looks great. Addison, that offense is is electric, um, and I'm interested to see if it keeps if it keeps rolling. Night game in the Coliseum, always always enjoyable. So, those are some of the games I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, that could be a really high-scoring game. I think the over-under for that game is like 71 or 72 and a half. 
another game that could be interesting that it's going to be very similar at, at 7.30 Eastern time, SMU at Maryland. Um, SMU plans to be one of the better group of five teams in the AAC. Uh, and Maryland, um, I think, has surprised people with a 2-0 start. They've blown out uh, both Buffalo and then also went on the road last week to Charlotte. Um, so this will be their last real true test before I think they go on the road to Michigan um, after this week. But both of these two teams, I believe Maryland is number two and SMU is number three in yards per play. They both average well over eight and a half yards per play. So a lot of points probably getting scored um, in this game um, and should be a fun one to watch. Also, really interested to see uh, UTSA at Texas. Um, really just see how you how does Texas come out uh, after a very emotional game? You were playing the number one team in the country to a record crowd uh, in Austin. And now you're playing, you know, and you go to you know a smaller school in state. You know, your backup quarterback is going to be playing. You know, the crowd's probably not going to be as crazy into it. However, UTSA, like, this is going to be like their national championship game. And they're a pretty darn good team in their own right. So I'm interested to see how they respond. If they are taking the next step and are being a mature team, they should win this game by multiple scores. But if not, I think it's still iffy if Texas has really gotten improved or if they're still the same where they get up for big games and then just completely lose it in games that they should be winning. So you're saying Texas is not back is what no. you're saying. Okay. No. Just want to make sure that we, have a, we don't have a, uh, a Texas is back sighting here. When, uh, uh, in, go ahead. Qualify for a playoff, and then maybe I'll oh, say okay. that you're back. Uh, last game I'll touch on here, Texas Tech at NC State. Texas Tech's 2-0, beat Houston 33-30 uh, in week two. NC State barely escapes East Carolina week one. They blow out an FCS team week two. That's a matchup of kind of interesting 2-0 teams. Should be really high scoring. Should be a fun matchup. Uh, again, that is going to be 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time uh, on ESPN2. Uh, any other games or anything you want to touch on before we get to our weekly picks? I don't think so. I think that is uh, pretty clearly it. If you don't want to see offense, I strongly uh, oblige that you watch Nevada at Iowa um, <laughs> if you love defensive grudge matches. But, hell, I don't have anything. I don't have anything else. Oh, man. All right. Uh, let's get to our weekly picks. Bounce back week for Ryan. Really, really needed it. Two in one weekend uh, for me. My uh, my wins were Iowa State plus three and a half at Iowa. Cyclones went outright, and USC minus nine at Stanford. My loss was Auburn minus twenty two and a half at San Jose. Just a just a terrible pick by me. Just a just a terrible pick. Um, I don't know. Don't know what I was thinking there. Might be fading. Uh, might be fading. Um, Penn or uh, Auburn here just uh, in a little bit. Uh, Lucas's uh, Lucas also went two and one. Uh, the under forty in Iowa, Iowa State was a hit. USC minus nine, uh, also a hit. The loss was Boston College plus two and a half uh, at Virginia Tech. Lucas on the season seven and two, including five and one in his last uh, two weeks. Ryan four four and one uh, for the season. The podcast eleven six and one. Uh, Mr. Lucas, I will, uh, let you, I'll see the floor. You can take us where you want to go. You want to do picks first, upsets first, locks first. Let me know. Uh, I will do, uh, my lock. So I kind of insinuated this on the last game that I said that if you want to watch, if you like defense, my lock is the under 
in the Nevada Iowa game under 40. Um, I, I was definitely not going to score probably more than 10 points. They only scored seven against South Dakota state. Um, neither of these two teams are, are very good. Um, so I'm going to take the under, cause even if Iowa wins this game outright, I'm seeing it as like 21 to three or something like that. It's, they're not going to win this game 45 to nothing or anything like that. So in that same vein, I will also, my lock of the week is I'm taking the under 47 and a half in Wisconsin, New Mexico state. Texas, you and Blaine about this earlier in the week. I think it's down to 46 and a half, maybe, maybe 46. I think this game is going to go basically exactly the way the Wisconsin Illinois state game goes. Wisconsin's a pretty heavy favorite. I think Wisconsin wins like 38 to zero, maybe 38 to three. Mexico State can't score. They should not score on, on Wisconsin. Wisconsin plays at kind of a slow pace. They'll probably score four, maybe five touchdowns, but I don't think um, they will open it up too, too much. So I'm taking the under 47 and a half in Wisconsin and New Mexico State for my lock of the week. Mm. Well, I'll follow you up with my, my underdog of the week, and I completely agree with your thing. I bet that myself. Uh, I mean, they only beat – Illinois state two weeks ago, 38 to nothing. So um, I think that the under is a good play in that. Uh, But my, I'm actually for my underdog. This was a game you had touched on Ryan. I'm taking Texas tech plus 10 and a half on the road at NC state. Um, I just don't know if I can trust NC state to cover. They should have, they should have lost on the road at East Carolina. If it wasn't, for some miscues by East Carolina. They're probably not coming out of there with a victory. Um, and I think Texas Tech's looked impressive so far. They had a really nice win uh, against Houston last week in double overtime. That offense, uh, led by offensive corner Zach Heatley, um, is really, really fun to watch. So I think they're going to be able to put up some points against this NC State defense. And I think this is going to be a close game um, just because NC State at least has not given me um, – especially with their, their offense, that they're going to blow any competent teams out this year. Um, so give me uh, give me the Red Raiders plus 10.5 on the road. Nice. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to take another short favorite. It worked for me last week with Iowa State plus 3.5. I'm going to take Michigan State plus 3.5 at Washington. Mm. Um, I kind of think this might be like a wrong team favorite kind of situation. I think Michigan State is the better team. I like what Peyton Thorne has shown. I like what this offense has shown. And Washington has looked good under a new coaching staff, but they're very untested. I think they're more untested um, than this Michigan State team is. So I think Michigan State probably wins the game. Like, I would pick them to win the game. But if I get a field goal and a hook, I'm I'm very happy because I, I, I don't think Washington will win this game by more than three uh, if they do win it. So I'm thinking Michigan State plus three and a half. At Washington. Uh, that's not a bad pick. As we talked about that game, I, that game just intrigues me because I don't know how good each team is. Is Michigan State right. as good as they were last year? Um, I, I think Washington has improved, but by how much have they improved? Um, can they be a factor in the Pac-12? So I think that's a really, really intriguing game. Um, I'm actually going to go um, with the game I picked uh, or, or talked about earlier. I'm going to take Maryland, minus three and a half at home against SMU. I think this is going to be a very um, high-scoring game. However, if Maryland is the team I think they are, which is I think they are a competent Big Ten team, they should be able to beat SMU, um, kind of a, 
a decently high tier, a probably mid tier group of five team. Um, they should be able to beat this by at least, I think, a touchdown. Um, so give me Maryland and the three and a half. This is probably the first time I've ever bet on Maryland to cover uh, <laughs> when they were favorites in my life. But I just think they're a competent team. They should be seven to eight wins, I think, this year. So that means I think they should be considerably better than SMU. So give me them uh, three and a half and what should be, I think, a very high scoring and entertaining football game. Didn't you say like the totals in like the 70s already, like 74, 75? Yes. And it was not that high. It was like, I think it was like 67 or 68 when it came out. And uh, I was thinking about betting it when it was at 69 and a half. And I was like, I'll hold off. That seems really high. And I should have bet it because it's yeah, at 70. I think it was went up to 74 and a half. Last time I checked, it was at 73. Um, so neither team has great defense and they have both very good offenses. So it wouldn't surprise me if that hit over. That's just, I've been, I was burned by a couple overs last week. So I'm a little gun shy to go that sure. high. Some of that. The, uh, North Carolina over the principal is, uh, may it, may it rest in peace. So may it, may it rest in peace. Well, so last week, not to go on too much of a tangent. So I missed that one by like Talk four me, points. Lucas. Missed that one by four points. I missed Houston, Texas Tech by two and a half points. I took over 65 and a half. I missed the North Carolina team total by a half a point. I got I took them over 35 and a half. And then I also lost um, oh, I took uh, Ohio State first quarter minus 12. They they were up 14 to 3. And they got a touchdown reversed at the end of the uh, first quarter that would have had uh, to cover. It was a brutal, bad, uh, bad beat week for me last week. So because I missed on three overs by barely that, I'm, I'm hesitant to take some overs uh, this week. All right. I'm going to do what I think might be a first for the pod. If it's not, I apologize. I am going to take Vanderbilt Moneyline at Northern Illinois as my oh. pick of the week. So it's a little bit of a heart pick because if, if Vandy hits this, then I, I hit my – I think we both hit. We both hit. Our, our, uh, our preseason win total yes. over two and a half. This is a big weekend for us in Vanderbilt. 12.30 Pacific time, 2.30 Central on CBS Sports Network. I will be tuned in. Um, listen, I thought – I watched a little bit of the Vanderbilt game uh, against Wake. I thought they played Wake pretty competitively. Um, it's really tough to play that offense. They're really good on offense. and um, But I, I think Vanderbilt's offense is pretty good think they can move the ball they're 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 two and one i think that staff and those players know that this is a big one to get you start sec play after this week um your last chance not that they care about the win total but you know it's a it's a it's a good chance to build some momentum heading into sec play um and who knows maybe you rifle off a couple sec wins right missouri doesn't look very good so you can might be able to get them. So um, anyway, Vanderbilt money line. I think Northern Illinois, um, they beat Eastern Illinois by seven. They lost to Tulsa by three. I think it's a winnable game for Vanderbilt. I almost bet two and a half, but I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go money line. I think they can get it done. So I'm taking Vandy money line at NIU. Yeah. I was surprised that they were, uh, they favored by two and a half. Or they uh, underdog. They're right? dog by two and a half. Yeah. That surprised me, especially like you mentioned with uh, NIU losing uh, to Tulsa last week, who I don't know if Tulsa, I don't know how good Tulsa is. Right. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I like that. I'm hoping for it because like you said, we both have uh, yeah. that two, over two and a half money line. Uh, or, that uh, would be partner. nice to cash that before like September yes. you know, 20th or something. That would be nice. 
Um, all right, Lucas, any final thoughts here before we wrap stuff up today? No, uh, once again, just kind of wrapping my head around kind of how crazy week two was. Um, week three, not sure if it's going to have that effect, but you never know because um, we definitely didn't expect that with uh, with week two. Um, but uh, no, I'm excited. Week three is kind of really the last, for the most part, the last game where we have so many non-conference games, some of these you know, group of five versus power five and FCS games. And we're only, only about a week away from when it's pretty much league play from here on out. And we just have huge and huge matchups. So um, no, looking forward to this week. Hopefully I can exhale. Uh, Wisconsin should beat New Mexico state rather handedly. So I won't I have so. to stress out because week four, we only play a night game at the shoe. So um, I'm not looking forward to watching that game at all. So uh, yeah, week four week. is a uh, week four is a tough one for both our teams. Wisconsin goes at Ohio State. ASU has to play Utah at home, so yeah. that could be a, that could be a rough like September twenty seventh, twenty eighth pod for us of trying yes. to trying to get back on the horse. Oh. All right, uh, again, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, you can follow the pod at Running for Roses for Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffle Lucas. We thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week and stay frosted.